Look at us, rocking and rolling. Um, actually, let me, let, me, uh, let me pray for us before we get started. Father, you are good. God, and you uh, have designed all things, you oversee all things, and God, you protect all things. God, you provide for all things. God, ultimately, you are sovereign. God, sovereign today with the people in this class and all these things. Father, we pray this morning as we as we dive into a topic, uh, just kind of next in line of our conversation around missions, that we would uh, glorify you and honor you in the things that we talk about, how we think about these things and discuss them, and ultimately, God, that you would uh, be glorified in that. We ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. Amen. All right, so like I was saying, this this topic is is near and dear to me uh, in some ways, um, and I think mostly because I felt a lot of it. Um, and see the importance of it. And so um, this is not a topic that was strictly discussed in previous kind of missions classes, classes that we've had. Um, but it is a topic that's worth talking about. Um, so kind of as a starting point, I'm going to say like 10 times, I feel like, because there's, I want to do several things in starting. How about that? One thing I want to do in starting is talk about something we talked about in week one. Uh, the thing we talked about in week one was, was, is right there at the top of the handout. Um, if you guys remember this, uh, one of kind of the things we discussed, one of the bullets, one of the things we filled out was that the global praise of God's glory is the final goal of missions. Um, so I think I bring that up. You guys know what Revelation 7, 9 through 11 says. You guys are familiar with Psalm 67. I think, I think actually on the handout then there were several other Psalm references. And, um, and then we took an entire class, actually two classes, actually to kind of talk through how the Bible supports this goal uh, of missions. And so I think though today and ultimately in a couple weeks, uh, Cole's going to be talking about, just to give you kind of some a rundown of the agenda, next week we're actually going to have an interview uh, with Mike Griffiths which I'm super excited about. Uh, he'll be in here just to kind of talk and chat with us. Uh, we'll have some questions, but we'll also love for you guys to have questions, and so be thinking about that. And then the next, the final week that we have is with Colby teaching, and he'll be teaching how do we get uh, from here to there. And so that will be a really practical week. I hope that today is also a practical week. Uh, we're going to talk about some kind of higher-level stuff, but we're going to get down into some practicals too. Okay, so, um, but this, this idea, right, the goal play, the global praise of God's glory is the final goal of missions. This is kind of what the whole class has been about. We're, we've been unpacking that statement um, from the very beginning. It's this idea that the God of the universe, right, the God who created, yeah, the God who created uh, language and culture is in the process of redeeming all of that kind of back to himself. It's really interesting when you think about that because he, you know, he initiated this idea of, of culture, initiated this idea of language. We saw that happen in Genesis. Um, and, it, and ultimately, he's going to bring that fully back around, uh, kind of full circle uh, in this redemptive process. And so today, specifically, though, we're going to talk about how language and culture um, kind of impact our processes and what we do practically when taking the gospel somewhere, even if it's here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, and we're also going to consider that kind of paradigm in the context of cross-cultural kind of ministry or work. Um, so hopefully I'll help us, you know, we'll, we'll develop some new categories of thought, but then also get some really practical tools uh, as we kind of dive into these things. 
So um, I think it is worth saying that when we stop, when we kind of step across cultural boundaries, uh, we have to recognize that there's just some fog around that. Uh, there's a lot of things that you know we bring into this scenario. There's a lot of things that we inherit as a part of being in this scenario, um, and it's really involved, really complex, really challenging, and there's some massive potential for miscommunication on also in so many levels. Um, I'll give you some examples along the way uh, that I hope you guys will think are funny. Um, but as we get started, I want to go ahead and give you the conclusion. Um, and so if you want to turn to the inside page, I'll give you something to write down. If you feel like writing things down. All right. So the conclusion <clears throat> is this. Cultural sensitivity and faithfulness to scripture are both necessary for true cross-cultural servanthood. Say it again. Cultural sensitivity and faithfulness to scripture are both necessary for true cross-cultural servanthood. I'll give you some practices throughout here. So we should aim... Uh, to practice these principles uh, both here and around the world. All right, so do you want me to read that one more time? Yeah. Okay. Cultural sensitivity and faithfulness to Scripture are both necessary for true cross-cultural servanthood. Good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, So if you want, if you have your Bible and you want to turn to somewhere, we're going to spend time today kind of going in and out of 1 Corinthians 9. I just had this heartache, but maybe I'll meant to say 2 Corinthians. No, this is right. 1 Corinthians 9. We're, we're going to go in and out of that um, as we go along. Uh, so just keep your finger there. And we'll kind of pop in and out of it and kind of go back to reference it. Let me, let me start with a, with a story. Um, in the 1850s, 1860s, uh, the British occupied, took over, ruled India. Um, and so there's all these stories of things, but there's this incredible story about um, kind of this, this man who is needing water, right? And so you can imagine the scenario. You've got uh, India is... Uh, all kinds of wealthy and all kinds of poor. At the bottom end of that, um, it's pretty destitute. People are hungry and they're thirsty and they're literally within an inch of their life on those two things. Um, and so the British come in and are experiencing this. Um, in, in this story, a, a, a British soldier encounters a, a man who's literally um, going to die of thirst. Right. So he's, he's there at the train station begging for water. Um, in, in this British soldier, uh, let's just say that he's a Christian man, a, a culture they would have been at the time, um, he has pity on him. And he, he goes through his stuff, finds his canteen, and hands it to the man. And the man, the Indian man, looks at the canteen, not knowing what to do with it, hands it back to the soldier. Um, and in seeing this, uh, you know, another Indian man runs over, 
um, and, and grabs the cake in his hand and finds uh, uh, a bowl, um, a, a clay vessel uh, that he can pour the water into. And he takes the water from the canteen and puts it into the vessel and hands it to the, the man dying uh, of thirst. And the man takes it and drinks and is extremely grateful uh, for, the, for the water. Like legitimately living water. Okay, so we can, you guys can draw some correlations here. Um, I, I think it's important to say that outside of context, living water isn't always interpreted the way that it should be. Okay? Um, it's not always known or, or um, uh, inherent to, to this is, oh, this is going to be life-giving to me. You guys can think about the story of the woman at the well. Uh, there's a story about water there, right? So it's, it's an interesting concept. Um, but, and so today we're going to be talking about the differences that we kind of pull into culture and what translates into something that's life-giving. Um, and part of that is the just kind of forms of culture, right? So uh, <clears throat> let's dig in, in into this kind of first point. Um, the first point here is cultural sensitivity. Um, first off, let me take a step. Actually, I asked Google. Um, this is what Google gave me. Uh, I asked Google two things. What is, what is culture? Like, how do you define culture? And then I asked uh, Google, how does the Bible define culture? And I don't think the Bible explicitly has, like, a Webster's version of definition of culture, but this is what popped up on Google, um, and I'm sure some random human built it, or said it. But here's what it says. Uh, culture is the secondary environment that man builds upon uh, the creation, comprising of language, habits, ideas, beliefs, customs, social, social organization, inherited artifacts, technical processes, and values, right? So it's all the stuff. Um, we are all born into, and so it kind of brings me to the first point, contextualization is unavoidable. Um, there's something to address here. The term contextualization is sort of a, a hot topic uh, in the missions world. And, and I, think it's, I think it's redeemable. Um, and the, the reason I say this is because uh, we've all been born into a context. This, this idea of context is unavoidable. And so um, in the second point, I'll fill in some blanks for you and what I mean by that contextualization is good. But the, let's start with this thought of it's, we can't avoid culture. We can't avoid context. We all kind of walk into these things. Um, we're born into them. There's the culture of your home. There's the culture of your family. There's the culture of your community, your environment, your state, your country, right? Then you guys recognize the difference of when you travel from Arkansas to Los Angeles or Arkansas to the Pacific Northwest or Arkansas to the Northeast or just to the Midwest or to Minnesota or the top 20, right? I mean, there are differences in culture and community that we all experience, and we're born into that. It's developed over our lifetime. And most of the time, we don't even realize it. Um, but what I would challenge you to do, pro we probably won't go through this exercise today, but what I challenge you to do is to, to sit down sometime and think about your culture, your context, and just deconstruct it as much as possible. And what I mean by de deconstruct it, um, put it through the lens of what is mine and what is Fayetteville's. What is mine and what is Arkansas's? What is mine and what is the church's? What is the church's and what is biblical? Right? 
So that's the next step of all these things is we also walk into church culture. And for those of us who grew up in church, um, we just kind of inherited it. it. It happens to us. Why we have a foosball table in here and two organs, I don't know. But maybe there's just one, piano and organ. Um, and a bunch of tables and chairs. We don't know, but it, we accept these things, right? This is part of our church culture. Um, but if you were someone who didn't grow up in Fayetteville, who, someone who didn't grow up in Arkansas, didn't grow up in the United States, didn't grow up in church, walking into this environment would be strange. Um, and so context and culture is unavoidable. We all have it. Uh, we're, we're given it, uh, whether we want it or not. Um, so, so let me take a stab at, at telling you why contextualization is good um, and what we need to do about it. So uh, to maybe spin this a little bit, good contextualization seeks to be faithful to the scripture and meaningful to a given culture. Those are, those are two blanks on page one. Um, so good contextualization seeks to be faithful to scripture and meaningful to a given culture. And so think back about the story of, uh, it, it actually comes from a book called Living Water Indian Bowl. Okay, so think back on that story of a man who was dying of thirst um, and, and needed something to drink. Uh, it, the context of that living water had to be meaningful to this culture in order for it to have any value to him, right? Um, the other lens that we have to look through for contextualization is that it has to be faithful to the scripture. We'll dig into that in our next section. Um, but this is where I want to start kind of digging into uh, this, this passage in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if we turn there, let's, it's, we could, I actually want to read the whole chapter, and then we'll pick it, pick some things apart. So, um, if, why don't we do this, why don't we just kind of go around the room, there's 24 verses, I think if we read three, one, two, three, four, yeah, if we read three verses each, we'll get through the end of the chapter, so let's start here with Kellen, we can go around. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the other brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it, not, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope mm -hmm. should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing 
if we reap your material things, if others are partakers of this rite over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no, no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Brother, I teach the gospel that has give me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I will have a reward. But if not of my will, I am still entrusted to the stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To Jews I have become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I have become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I have become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. Because I did bad math, but I'll, keep, I'll, I'll read through the end of it. Um, I just saw the top of 24. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it, do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so that you may obtain it? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do, they do it to receive a perishable wealth but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Mm. So there's plenty to draw from this, um, but I'm gonna pull out a couple things that are specific to um, this idea of, of um, being meaningful to a given culture. So this, and we'll, we'll dive into the scriptural side of this in a section, being faithful to scripture specifically. But, um, so in verse 12, uh, ultimately, Paul gives up his rights. Okay? Um, let's read verse 12 real fast. I'll do it for us. If others share this rightful claim on you, uh, do not we even more? And he's just gone through these, these things that he's given right to by the law or given right to culturally. Um, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So here Paul is giving up his rights, all the things that he was born into rightfully, the things that he's even earned rightfully by adhering to the law in the way that we all know Paul adhered to the law. Um, and so as opposed to kind of walking back through the things that he gave up, I want to take some time here just to think about what rights we um, so let's open discussion. What are some rights that we have? Let's think first as Americans. The right to vote. Right to vote. Okay. Right to bear arms. Is that why you smirked? Yeah, <laughs> that's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> okay. Right to 
Think about some cultural rights you have. Right to eat or drink in any any establishment. Any public establishment. Think what you want to think. See what you want to do? Um, okay, so let's take this outside of our context. How do you think those things translate in a different context as far as rights go? There might be a certain dress code. Okay. In a specific context. Yeah, so uh, let's, let's give an example of that. What, what specific dress code do you guys know of in other cultures? Similar, yep, long dresses. What about um, things that are just cultural norms for us, but may not translate the right way? I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna give some very specific specific examples here. Um, uh, I'll give an example: uh, wearing dirty shoes into a place of worship. What about like uh, touching or showing? Or sorry, touching or shaking hands with someone using your left hand. Hmm. What about um, putting a fence around your property without getting um, permission from the local tribal leader or community leaders? It might be tribal. Um, there's there's certainly not biblical command around all of these things, right? But these are rights that we've inherited culturally. And so um, the issue, though, that, that Paul saw was not that we had rights or that, that, he, uh, that we should or shouldn't do them. It was that he didn't want to put obstacles in the face of the gospel. He didn't want, didn't want to you know, put issues in the way of things coming to light. So, again, if we use the church as an example, there are things that we do in the Western world that just don't translate. Uh, let me give you maybe three stories really fast. Um, so my first experience in a church in India was a British established church that had been there from the 1800s. Um, and it was still operating today. And I walked into the front door, having just been in language school, and uh, I look up on the screens, and there's several things happening. One, um, there are pews. I walked in with my shoes on. The pews are above the ground, just like our pews are, um, elevated, if you will. And there's two screens on the, uh, up front, along with a mic and a guitar stand and a TV entertainment system, not entertainment, audio system. Um, and the, it had two projector screens. On one screen was the English uh, words to a Chris Tomlin song. And then on the other screen was Devin Ogley's script. It's the classic Hindi script you guys would know if you saw it. Uh, with just the transliteration of those words, i.e., the letters put together in a way to make those sounds. Doesn't translate. So we, it was, it was when I first walked in, I thought, oh, this is beautiful. There's a mixed gathering of all kinds of cross cultures here, right? There's uh, expats, there's um, folks from every continent in the room. There's a lot of Indians in the room. And we were all singing English, assuming everybody knew English and liked Chris Tomlin and uh, understood the words that were on this side of the screen versus this side of the screen, just didn't translate. But on top of that, in the context of India, 
going to a place of worship with your shoes on is the most pitiful thing ever. It's like bringing the dirtiest, nastiest, the same as in the time of Jesus. The reason that, I mean, the humility behind Jesus washing his disciples' feet was not just around the fact that he was serving them. It was that he was serving them in the grossest way. Um, and so similar to the culture of, of, of India, wearing your shoes to a place of worship is just taboo. And on top of that, um, they would worship in a way that belittles themselves, humbles themselves to a holy God, not elevates themselves in front of a holy God. Um, and so they saw this as proud and arrogant. And so for a new, um, you know, kind of a Hindu background guy walking to a church, he would go, I want nothing to do with this. Mm. Um, this is not worship. This is elevating self, right? Um, and then it didn't even make sense on top of that. Uh, another example is um, <clears throat> when you're talking about cultural kind of rights, um, in India, they don't eat meat generally. That's part of the culture. Um, in fact, part of the culture is that animals are sacred. And depending on where you are in that culture, it's more so than you would ever imagine how sacred animals are and how much value they give them and how much they try to protect them. Um, but uh, when, when conversions were happening in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, all the way up to the 1940s with the British in, in India, uh, they were laying kind of cultural norms on top of them. They brought over their Western cultural norms with them and said, hey, um, now that you're a Christian, you can eat meat. And they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna eat meat. I don't, we don't do that. Uh, because prior to their rule in India, uh, Hindustan, which was the name for India, literally just meant the land of the people on that side of the Indus River, and with it came culture. It's like saying, hey, all those people over there in Arkansas, they, they worship the hogs, and, and they make sure that they uh, do whatever we do in Arkansas, right? Eat barbecue and X, Y, Z, which is funny in contrast. Worship hogs, eat barbecue. <laughs> um, but that's all it was saying was, hey, everybody over there, they have all these cultural things that go along with them. They look like this, they dress like this, they worship like this. Um, and when the British came in, they started laying their own cultural norms on top of that. Um, and that just didn't translate. Another example is they were saying, hey, as a Christian, when you get married, you need to wear white clothes. In India, you take on white clothes when you become a widow. And so a woman on her wedding day wearing a white dress is effectively communicating to the entire community, I want my husband to die. Already. Yeah. Um, and so, again, these are rights. These are cultural norms. These are things that we're pulling in. And Paul says to us, hey, don't, don't do anything to obstruct the gospel. And so the re where this conversation gets pretty, uh, like, on the edges is when, uh, what, what's it called? Syncretism? 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 That's the word. Thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, where, where you're either saying one of two things. You're going so far in one direction that you've kind of lost the values of, of what it means to be a Christian, or... You're adding stuff and bringing stuff into a cultural environment uh, that aren't that are also extra to being a Christian, the gospel. And so, the kind of rails here are that meaningful within the context and faithful to the scriptures. Um, okay, let's look at something else here that, that happens with Paul. Um, just in in verses nineteen through twenty three. 
For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of my uh, win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might, that I might share uh, with them in its blessings. So what is, what is Paul saying here? He made personal sacrifices to his freedom to help others understand the gospel. Yeah, the things he's doing, he's trying to make the gospel more clear. Yeah. Yeah, so to your point, he, he's um, valuing and kind of putting... He's valuing the gospel more than his own rights, his own culture, um, his own comforts even. Because um, I'm sure it'd been more comfortable to live like he had always lived. And that's the reality. You walk into places and it's just easier to be who you've always been. Um, and Paul is saying intentionally, no, he, he's going to live like those that he's evangelizing. Whether it's the Jews or the Gentiles or whoever it might be. And so you guys can imagine uh, and, and kind of start reading some of this into... Um, Scripture, right? Where um, you know what happens in Acts ten in this this occurrence of Peter and Cornelius, right? What goes on there? Uh, ultimately, that's the, the the moment where it's like, oh no, this the gospel is not just for Jews; it's also for Gentiles. That is as much a cultural statement as it is anything else. That is the kind of the the tipping point for kind of God's redemption going beyond His chosen people into everyone of that we are now benefit. Um, and so that's kind of culminated in, uh, I think, Acts 15, Jerusalem Council. Um, but we see this stuff happening over and over again. Um, I, I think of the Philippian jailer. I think of the woman at the well. I think of uh, the demon-possessed man where he, con- Jesus and others are consistently pushing them back to their own community and culture to take the gospel with them in their own context. So, big picture. Um, Contextualization is good. It's important. Um, and it's done so in the constraints of being meaningful within the culture um, and adhering and being faithful to the scripture. Um, we see in 1 Corinthians that Paul gave up his rights in order for the sake of the gospel being made more clear um, to those he's, he's evangelizing with. Um, let me see if there's anything else I want to talk about. couple notes I have. The goal of contextualization is not comfort, but clarity. The gospel will never be comfortable to any fallen or sinful society or human being. The goal is to make sure that we do not put any obstacles in the way of the gospel ourselves, but the only stumbling block is the stumbling block of the cross, and that the meaning of that cross is clear to all. That's the goal. Um, this is, in this next section, we'll get into um, the importance of scripture in this um, because uh, culture is uh, it's not counter to the gospel it's not counter to 
the Bible necessarily. It's just outside of the Bible, right? It's not explicitly defined within. Um, and it's taken on form in all kinds of different ways. The only culture we really see um, is the culture of the Jews and the culture, snippets of the culture that they kind of buck, buck against. Um, and so what we have to do then is take the scripture and then like filter cultural elements through the lenses of, of, of the scripture and decide how, is that redeemable? Uh, is that not redeemable? Is it, um, does that help us uphold the gospel? Does it help us uh, clearly communicate the gospel? And so let's, let's dig into this. <clears throat> uh, to say that more clearly and to give it a bullet point, scripture is the standard by which all things are to be evaluated. This is true for us here. It's true for us in our day to day, but all the more in uh, cross-cultural kind of So um, we sort of hit on this briefly uh, in this kind of last reading, but I'll go back to it uh, if you want to take a note. This is verse 21. Um, Paul says, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And that statement, he actually puts in parentheses, well, the translator puts it in parentheses, um, but he's clear to say, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, by the way. Um, and so in, in this, he's, just, he's basically um, upholding God's word as the standard, right? Um, and so <clears throat> this, the scripture, God's word, um, gives us quite a bit, right? In, in fact, we almost have to, we kind of have to read this through the context of another culture um, in a worldview, but it helps us set boundaries uh, for adaptation to the people that we're trying to reach, right? And so, um, in India, they had this really interesting thing that's called Joel Diksha, which is really, it just meant a water ceremony. And so, um, and the water ceremony was, ironically, meant to communicate to the culture that I have devoted my life to one God. Redeemable, right? Uh, we have something like that. I think it's ordinance called baptism. Um, it's, it's a thing that's redeemable. Um, and so whether you call that jurisdiction or baptism, or the point is, is that it has to be something that communicates the intent to the community. Um, but we can use scripture to help us identify things like that. Uh, uh, of course, we, we know the ordinance of the church and those things need to be upheld. And so the Bible helps us translate these things. Um, so... Uh, I kind of I think the the bottom line of this section, and we, we'll get into the next point. But the bottom line of this section is that um, we can't or don't adapt things that contradict the scripture. Um, we shouldn't, and that's uh, that can be an easy line to cross um, if we're not intent to be in the word. Uh, my wife and I worked with the International Mission Board. And so one thing that I really loved about our training with them was that uh, they basically said, hey, your job, like forget everything else. Um, like you're going to have to do expense reports. You're going to have to do language training. You have to meet all these requirements. But forget all of that because your job is to be with Jesus daily. Um, and those will form the rails of everything else you do. Um, and so I think that fits well here. Same idea. Um, 
we can uphold what needs to be upheld and, and we can kind of mitigate what needs to be mitigated. We need to do the same thing here. Um, so this is not only a, a principle of thought for cross-cultural ministry, it's also a principle of thought for us here. Okay, um, and why is that? Well, it's because scripture is inherent, authoritative, and sufficient. So we want to turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Yeah. It's good enough, right? Uh, and more than that, it's everything we need um, for all kinds of things, um, but particularly applies to the, for the conversation we're having today. Um, it's, it's good for us to discern and decide and to bump things up against. Um, in fact, when we were in India, there were things about our own culture that we were like, why do we do that? Now that I'm looking at this differently, why? why? And so sometimes it's really good to get perspectives from outside your culture, your community. Um, even if that means, hey, I'm going to go hang out with a community on campus that I'm not familiar with. Or, hey, I'm going to go hang out in your town that I don't normally hang out in, like just to get some perspective. Um, I've been playing basketball on Wednesday mornings at AAO. It's a community I haven't been around in a long time. New perspectives in my community. Um, and I'm having to intentionally go, uh, what's redeemable here, what's not, you know. Um, so for us, like we, in India, we even thought through the lenses of like, what should, what does worship look like? What does prayer look like? What does, um, you know, the Lord's Supper look like? What does it look like to do baptism? What is it? And so all these things that we do on a daily here at church and the ways that we worship and the ways that we, um, do our own personal time, what does that look like for us? And how is that redeemable? Uh, within the right context. <clears throat> Living water and evil. Alright, we're running short on time, mostly because I was late getting started, but um, let's let's move on to this next section. And I'll, just full transparency here. Um, these principles are pulled from Dwayne Elmer's book, uh, Cross-Cultural Servanthood. How many of y'all have read that? Good news. Um, this is a great segue into a topic that we we're going to bring up today anyway. Uh, turns out we have a budget for books. You guys probably remember this from other um, colleges. Uh, what was it? Equipping classes. Equipping classes. I, I wanted to say ABS. Uh, other equipping classes where they give out books on a weekly basis. Because of our group size this year, this quarter, um, we're just going to let you guys pick a book that you want to read. And so we have a list of books that... Uh, you can choose from. We'll assign a budget, and you guys can, depending on your picks, have one or two. And so uh, this is one of the books on that list, Dwayne Elmer's book on cross-cultural servanthood. Um, as a high level, uh, these next six things uh, that we're going to walk through are principles that should help us to earn the right to communicate and be heard uh, at the right time, at the right level for a given community, culture, society, in the right context for the right reason, right? So these are really practical things that we can take into what we're doing every day. Mm. Um, even if who we're talking to is our sibling, there are differences, right? Mm. And so these things will help us kind of 
posture ourselves the right way as we're thinking about how do I relate with people? How do I relate to folks the right way? Um, and how do I serve folks? So last thing in this, in this um, kind of passage on Paul, um, big picture here is in verse 19, we see that Paul um, is a servant uh, to non-believers. He's taken this posture of servanthood in the things that he's doing. Um, and servanthood is this uh, characteristic that's essential for cross-cultural, like effective cross-cultural ministry. Um, and ironically, it kind of defines how we uh, find freedom in Christ, right? It's this world where we uh, serve others, but also find freedom in the things that we're doing. Um, and so in verse 19, I'll read it for us really quickly. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Um, I think it's Philippians 2 or Philippians 4. You guys remember where Christ, said, Christ becomes a bondservant? Uh, he, he basically humbles himself. It's 2, right? Um, right? We're seeing the same posture in Paul that uh, we saw in Jesus. And so for us, that's an example that we can also follow. And in ways that we do that really practically are through these kind of six topics here. Um, the big idea under this first one, openness, is that we make others feel safe in our presence. Uh, the context for that is relationships. Um, so how, how do people feel safe around us? If we're gracious, um, if we're loving, if we're kind, uh, if we are intent on building relationships with one another. Um, you guys know uh, Nabil Qureshi? He, he wrote a book. I, I think it was like, um, what was it? Searching All of Finding Jesus? Seeking, Seeking All of Finding Jesus. Yeah, mm -hmm. Seeking All of Finding Jesus. He says effective evangelism requires relationships. Uh, there are very few uh, exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is all about uh, making others feel safe through the context of a relationship. Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book called um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, it's also a great book. Um, she was a practicing lesbian who had a pastor as a neighbor, and uh, their relationship changed her life um, in the ways that the pastor and his wife served her and her partner. Um, she is uh, now out of that world, married, and I think pastoring. Uh, her husband's a pastor. So... She says, how can you possibly have strong words without strong relationships? <clears throat> if you want to put the hands of the lost into the hands of the Savior, you have to get close enough to get hurt. The Christian community has a lot to learn about standing with the disempowered in the company of the suffering. Um, the whole book is, is about um, how, how practically do we go about loving our neighbors, um, ultimately. And it's, a, it's a fantastic uh, read. Um, but again, just this idea that uh, there are relationships built here, and the context of us making people feel, people feel safe uh, is through relationships. All right, so accept acceptance. Um, so acceptance, really briefly, is this is the respectful ability to accept others based on their innate, God-given dignity. So when we walk into places, right, um, we carry with us the things we've been talking about, all the cultural norms and thoughts and things. Uh, those may or may not be good. And sometimes when we're met with something that's contradictory to that, our ability to accept folks for who they are because they are created in God's image um, 
is is uh, elementary to us serving him ultimately. Um, I think you guys all know what I what I mean there. There are, there are things that we can um, build into scenarios unknowingly um, and kind of peeling back to the the basis of look, <laughs> we're all created in God's image, uh, and if I'm going to be open with this person and be accept, I need to be accepting of who they are. Um, Next one is trust. Trust is built upon mutual confidence in each other's good intent. Um, and it's perpetually repaired through forgiveness. Right? So um, it's this idea that um, you know, if we're really building relationships, uh, if we're really open with one another, uh, and really accepting of the other person, um, then we'll start to build this trust and confidence within one another. This is coming alongside somebody in the hardest parts of your life. Um, but it's, it's built also upon us understanding their perspective. So, again, these things are kind of stair-stepping up to uh, where we get to be able to serve folks. But um, <clears throat> if, you, if you think about um, even language learning, I know this is, you know, we're talking a lot about culture. But that's as, as much about language learning as, as even getting the the words and the syntax and the, and the writing and all that stuff together is, is understanding. And part of building this is um, when you're trying to learn language, you're, you're trying to learn for comprehension and for understanding and for communicating a point. And so this is where that comes into play. Um, when we're building relationships with other people, we also have to do the same thing. Uh, aim to earn trust with folks and comprehension in the relationship. Um, and to be really clear, this is not comfortable sometimes. Uh, that's a hard thing to do. Uh, it's hard to walk into a room um, and, and genuinely walk in as a learner of the other person, genuinely walk in wanting to comprehend who they are and, mm -hmm. and build trust with them. Um, I think oftentimes uh, we're predisposed to think that uh, the gospel and specifically evangelizing is this transactional thing um, where uh, I come in with the things to say and then I'll walk away. I hope to get some sort of response to that, but um, uh, this is as much a part of that, I think, as anything else. Yes, sir. Could I insert just Please. one little observation here? Um, no offense to all of you guys, but most all of y'all are much younger than I am. <laughs> <coughs> that book created cultural difference. That is yeah. enormous, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you'd like to have a more practical of anything Joe's talking about, adopt one of the homebound people in the directory oh, I love that. and just go see them and talk to them even though you've never met them and you will understand everything he's just now saying. Mm -hmm. It'll become very practical to you because yeah. that's a cultural divide yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. I don't want to undermine that, but like even just stepping outside uh, one generation to the next, you're going to feel that. Um, it, yeah. So uh, the next one is is, is similar, um, but it's learning. It's the intent uh, to learn about and from and with other people. Um, the goal here is to destroy stereotypes and prejudices uh, and, and racism that is innate uh, within us. And so, or it's learned. It's part of our culture community. 
we have elements of those things within us. And the idea of learning is, is being intent to learn about and from and with other folks. Um, in that, you establish dignity. Um, I'll give you a practical tip here. Uh, use us instead of we or they. Um, <clears throat> I can remember in a, in a singular moment uh, of just uh, culture shock. Uh, it was, it was kind of the second round of our time in India, and I was with two faithful brothers who were Indians, and uh, I was just frustrated about an event that happened, and uh, I started using terms like we and they. Um, they don't understand, they don't get it, they're not whatever. And uh, man, the countenance on those guys, the, what happened that moment in my relationship with them as folks in the they camp, you know, um, uh, just changed. And, and it took time to redeem that um, and build trust back again. Um, because all of a sudden I reverted to this thing that was familiar to me, my own cultural identity, my own thoughts, my own thing. Um, and I broke some trust in that scenario. Um, because uh, what it sounded like, although I was not intending to say it, was that I was greater than, um, which is not the point. Because um, again, we're trying to remove obstacles to communicating the gospel. Um, so uh, we, just to kind of hit this point home one last time, uh, we all uh, learn more and learn better, specifically in language or cultural kind of acquisition mentality, if we're really trying to communicate something to someone to get a response. And so if our end goal is, in fact, to share the gospel and to share truth with folks, even hard truths like Rosary talked about, um, then uh, learning through that lens is super helpful. Um, being intentional to have those conversations is helpful. Uh, you guys get to hang out here? You probably get to hang out too. Yeah. Okay, real fast, I'll tell you one story. I had just finished language school. Um, in, high sc in high school and college, I had taken Spanish, and so Spanish is not like Hindi. It doesn't even have the same script. Um, and so my brain was practically trying to displace the two or find segments for them two in, in, in English. And so we, <clears throat> we were back home, and we were intentionally doing these language routes. This is a good tool or tip for folks that try to learn languages or try to get be intentional about going and being part of that community, talking and speaking in those ways. Uh, around specific topics or things regularly. And so like Mondays I would do this thing, Tuesdays I would do this thing, Wednesdays I would do this thing, and just intentionally talk to the same people because I wanted them to know that I was practicing. Uh, and in that way they had grace over me. Um, but uh, one of those happened naturally to me. One was a kid that would come to our door and collect trash uh, from our apartment door every couple of days. And so I would always intentionally speak Hindi with him because he only spoke Hindi. He didn't speak anything else. And so <clears throat> I would, um, I would you know, welcome him and say hi, and I would uh, ask him about his day, and then he would ask me if I had any trash, and I'd say, I'd say, yeah, sure, let me grab it. And I'd go grab it and give it to him. But on days when I would say, no, I don't have any trash today, he would go, what? And I would go, I don't have any trash. And he would go, what? And he would get frustrated with me. And the longer this went on, the more frustrated he would get with me. And so, so by the end, like he's going, Hey, you have any trash? And I was like, no, I don't have any trash. Uh, we were both just frustrated each other. And um, in, in, like, in that moment, when it was heightened to that degree, I realized I was saying, no, I don't have any trash in Spanish. And so we were not communicating the right thing. I was not communicating the right thing. Um, and so anyway, uh, 
learn to communicate <laughs> with someone to get, in order to get a response. I, your brain is funny, um, but it takes a lot of practice to figure these things out. Um, okay, understanding number five. We all have worldviews, right? And the reality is, is if someone's going to come to faith in Christ, some of their worldviews are going to change. Um, it requires it. It required it for us. Even if we grew up in church, it required it for us. We had to come past the point of, I'm a sinner. And past the point of, I need somebody to, uh, to restore my relationship with God. And so, regardless of that, sometimes there are much larger worldviews to change. And so, um, knowing the identities of the people that you're talking to, that you're working among, um, understanding the stories that have built their community, understanding the things that go on um, that shape their views of life is really, really important. Um, understanding this gives us the ability to kind of see patterns in things um, and, and find values in, where, in areas where they have values and kind of find things that aren't, don't have value and stuff that need to be addressed, right? Having the hard conversations. Um, this is all about gaining uh, the person's perspective while um, still trying to chase this idea of, of discipleship and community, right? So, this last one really quickly is, um, is serving. Uh, so serving is a lifestyle of, of word and deed that affirms people's dignity and empowers them to live glorifying lives. Um, that feels like a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Um, but the point is, is that um, I think you guys can all like agree that in serving others, in being intentional to do all of these kind of these uh, elements or principles here, um, uh, we tend to find the most uh, concrete relationships with folks. We tend to find the most uh, concrete value in the things that we're doing. Um, and, and it's uh, to to Paul's point and to uh, it's the thing where we find freedom in Christ um, and so uh, not only does it kind of give dignity in others but it also empowers them to, to like fully glorify God they see us serving them they see that this is the cultural identity that Christ comes with mm. um, then that's the sort of thing that translates broader beyond cultural bounds um, and so Rosemary Butterfield would say in this scenario, do not share the gospel or invite me to church on the first meeting as a point of all of this. Um, her ideal, or, or the point that she makes is, look, let's do all of these things together. Let's, let's build a relationship together um, before you bring me to the thing that's going to just promote more cultural boundaries, mm -hmm. um, more language boundaries. All right, uh, back to the conclusion. Uh, cultural sensitivity and faithfulness to scripture are both necessary for true cross-cultural cross-cultural servanthood. Uh, we should aim to practice these principles both here and around the world. All right. Um, thank y'all for hanging out. A uh, couple things I'll, real fast in closing I'll say is um, if you have I, I, what I wanted to do today is I feel like everybody's talked about, heard about, thought about Hudson Taylor. Uh, I was just going to kind of let us pop forward and talk about Hudson Taylor, uh, the things that most stick out to you guys. Um, yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Mm -hmm. um, but here's my encouragement. This next week, if you don't know Hudson Taylor, go look him up. Hugely impactful. Some would say he's the most impactful uh, person to cross-cultural missions since Paul. Um, that's a big statement, so he's worth, he's worth looking into. The other thing is, is uh, we were going to pray for, uh, for Egypt, um, and so I, I intentionally didn't 
uh, pull anything down about Egypt to give you guys. Uh, because I wanted to start to empower you guys to start looking this stuff up on your own. Uh, there's, there's some really great resources out there um, in Operation World, in the, I think it's called the Joshua Project, but just in general, there's, there's stuff that you can learn about all of these places. And so as a part of this class, we talked about areas of most need. And so it's really easy to go find what are the areas you most need. Um, you can find that on the Traveling Team's website. You can find that on the IAB's website. You can find that on Joshua Project website. You can find that on Operation World website. You can find all these places. And then you can use the wealth of information on the internet to inform you about what you should pray about. And so um, as you guys have time this week, that's my encouragement to you. Um, find some time to look up and think about and pray about Egypt. Um, it fits within that window. Um, it's... 85, 83, 85% uh, Muslim um, <clears throat> with a small percentage of evangelical. Uh, we know folks there. Um, I say we, have to, we know folks there, whether you know or not. Um, and so it's worth praying about. Uh, all right. Appreciate you guys. I'll let you guys run off to uh, church. Let me pray for us first. God, thank you for the opportunity to uh, look into your word this morning, to think about uh, culture the importance of culture and language in, in communicating the gospel to those who just don't know. God, I pray that you would help us to, um, God, be critical of who we are, the things that we bring to the table, what forms that we create and bring into our relationship with you, and what, what things they of themselves are um, just not uh, you know, biblically provided. God, I pray that in that, that we would uh, learn how to best communicate and serve those around us. Um, in sharing the gospel through the context of relationships uh, and service. God, we love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.